Before the club in Paris, and before the Frenchman, I was a woman in a fortress. Or, more precisely, I lived with my husband and two children in La Commanderie, a medieval fortification at the center of the French village of Obey, pronounced Obey as in love, honor, and Obey. Built by the Knights Templar in the 13th century, the fortress stood high on a hilltop and could withstand attack from every angle. There were arrow slits in the walls and a perch from which to spy the enemy coming. The foundation was sunk deep into the rock of the village, rock that, millions of years before, had formed the Mediterranean seabed. Occasionally, when I examined the rock, I would find imprints of fossilized shells, ancient swirls of disintegrated calcium that created the bedrock of the entire region. The fortress rose from this long-gone sea like a stone leviathan, strong and unsinkable. It was a defensive place, a place of barriers, one meant to resist catapults and battering rams, a place in which we could shut everything out, even the truth. An ancient granite wall surrounded the fortress. Outside the wall, the sun scorched the streets to a sizzle. Inside, a deep shadow fell over the courtyard, where my family ate lunch at a weathered wooden table. I picture us now, as we were then, my two children, Alex and Nico, our pug, Fly Me to the Moon, Fly for short, and our three cats, Napoleon, Josephine, and Shushu. I see me, a 36-year-old woman in an oversized sundress and sunglasses, walking barefoot over hot flagstones, slipping between slats of sun and shade as I make my way past the cats to my husband, Nikolai. Tall and dark and handsome, he wears a black top hat perched on his head. He bought the top hat in a junk store and wore it as a joke, but the joke became a habit, and the habit an eccentricity, and so the hat stayed, giving him the air of a dark magician, one who could, with a flick of his wrist, coax a dove from the depths of nothingness. Under our feet, deep below the hot flagstones, was a treasure-filled tunnel, or so we like to imagine. According to legend, the Knights Templar had constructed a system of tunnels between La Commanderie and the fortified city of Egmort, where St. Louis launched the Crusades. These passages allowed the knights to move in stealth, to defend the king, to hide valuables, and to transport goods for their voyages to the Holy Land. But anyone looking at a map would have serious doubts that such a tunnel actually existed. The swampy port of Egmort is more than 10 miles from Obey, the terrain rocky. Even so, I like to believe that there was some truth to the story, and that deep below the fortress, carved into the compacted limestone, was a hidden space, a tunnel guarding Templar treasure. La Commanderie was 800 years old and had many owners after the Knights Templar. One built an olive press on the property, Another created an Italianate courtyard with flagstones and a window-lined salon to border it. One used the garden as an arena for bullfights, or les courses carmegues, as they say in the Languedoc. And I like to imagine the matador and the bull moving around each other in the courtyard, attacking and hiding, one beast pursuing the other. When the Nazis requisitioned the property in the 40s, they used it as the center of their operations in the region, a legacy that older villagers remembered. The fortress had seen olive oil and bullshit 
and swastikas. And then we arrived. We hadn't been in the market for a dark, drafty 13th century fortress, but we walked through the door, took one look, and knew that La Commanderie had been waiting for us. The realities of buying and living in a historic compound in a tiny village in a foreign country didn't strike us as daunting. The fact that we were thousands of miles away from family and friends didn't dissuade us. The problems with the house itself, the oil-sucking monstrosity of a heater, the leaky roof, the mold-infested bathroom, the broken sewage pipe, seemed manageable. It was precisely the scale of the fortress, so outsized, so unrealistic, that made it ours. The day we moved in, we pushed open the gate together. Over 10 feet tall, the blue ironwork speckled with rust, it was so heavy that it took the two of us, with our combined weight, to move it. It swung open, creaking on old hinges, and suddenly we were not a couple on the verge of divorce. We were the owners of La Commanderie, a structure more powerful than us, a place so solid that it would, it must be strong enough to save us. I remember looking at the thick walls of the fortress, at Alex and Nico in the courtyard, and thinking, this is it. This is where we will finally be happy. The first time I saw Obey was from behind a dusty windshield. Our car climbed a narrow, winding road, twisting and turning, and then suddenly it appeared, a medieval stronghold lifting into a perfect blue sky. One of my guidebooks claimed that the sun shone an average of 300 days per year in the Midi, and it seemed to me then that this luxurious abundance of light had melted the edges of the village clear away. They declined softly from the center, leaving only the village chateau, its windows shuttered, at the top. Village houses crowded the streets below the chateau, yellowed and uneven as teeth in an ancient mouth and at the very bottom of the hill roamed a herd of bulls, their horns long and sharp as daggers. We found the village by looking online. I'd typed the words, South of France Rentals, into a search engine, and clicked on links, websites, and message boards. Also punched into the search engine were the words, Beaches, Mountains, Vineyards, Paradise. I'd strung these words together in a more or less random sequence, composing a surreal love poem to my fantasy home, and then thrown them out into the digital universe, asking the powers that be to send something special back. They sent me the village of Obey. As the car climbed up into the village center, I looked down at the surrounding countryside. Knotty black stumps of Syrah vines grew below, clipped back after the previous harvest. Now it was spring, and their leaves were beginning to sprout and twist, each new tendril spiraling up, seeking sun. A stream wrapped around the village, feeding water to a lavarie, where villagers had once washed their clothes by hand. There was a boulangerie with fresh bread in the window, a tabac selling newspapers and cigarettes, and an epicerie filled with vegetables and spices. And through it all there floated a pervasive, almost eerie sense of calm. When I rolled down the car window, I heard nothing but the hum of the engine. No sirens or screeching tires or garbage trucks or train clatter. Nothing. I grew up in rural Wisconsin, where the only sound, aside from the shouts of my sister and brother and me, was nature. 
birds singing in the trees, crickets chirping in the bushes, insects buzzing, bullfrogs croaking. I felt that I was home again. As we parked, my eyes adjusted to take it all in. The angular sweep of clay roof tiles, the blue wooden shutters, the flinty peak of the church steeple. The village chateau was run down, and while the romantic in me, which was about 90% of me at that juncture, liked to imagine a king and queen sitting on ramshackle thrones, in reality, the building had been cut up into apartments owned by summer people. One day, I would gaze through a window at the top of the chateau and see clear to the Mediterranean. In this vista, there were white Camargue horses and, beyond this, the jagged rise of Pique Saint-Loup, craggy wine country known for its strong, delicious reds. Garrigue fields filled with lavender and rosemary and olive trees spread for as far as I could see. Beyond this, far from sight, were the remnants of Roman roads, limestone conduits grooved by the weight of ancient wheels that had once carried wine and soldiers to and from Rome. Two thousand years later, the tracks were overgrown with honeysuckle, blackberry bushes, buttercups. Olives, grapes, and flowers, such things thrived outside the village. But in the village itself, all greenery died. The fields and streams were replaced by cool, lifeless limestone. A labyrinth of ancient passageways cut through the village, Rue du Roc, Rue Droite, Rue de la Commanderie, forming a series of transits past the old marketplace, the statue honoring the dead of the First World War, a stone bridge overlooking the bulls. There were both a Catholic church and a Protestant church, and it was said that the village tolerated both religions, although Huguenots had not been allowed to bury their dead in the cemetery. Instead, families dug into their cellars and gardens, leaving corpses in unblessed ground, causing all variety of ghosts and unquiet spirits to move through the old houses, through the winding streets, through the branches of olive trees. We were a little like those ghosts, displaced outsiders searching for sacred ground. For the first time in our marriage, we had the luxury to try. I just had a big professional success. My first novel was bought by a publisher in New York. Then the movie rights sold. Offers for my second novel, which I hadn't even begun to write yet, were pouring in. At 35 years old, I had found success doing something I loved and, for the first time in my life, I wouldn't have to struggle to pay my bills. And yet, when success arrived, it cracked the atmosphere of my life like a sonic boom, knocking me off balance. I didn't understand how to react. Struggle I understood. Scraping by, I knew what that felt like. But successful? That was a whole new game for a girl who had worked her way through college and was still paying off student loans. It's hard to imagine that the very thing I dreamed of could be so strange, so unmooring, but it was. I was wary of this success. I was fearful of it. I was worried that the same magic that had created good fortune would take it all away again. And then there was my marriage. Nikolai and I had been married eight years when we moved to France, and I doubted we would make nine. I blamed our rift on the endless hours we'd been working, the strain of being parents, and the lack of money. I blamed it on the fact that we hadn't taken time out for us and for our marriage, 
and so I propose to use our windfall to move far away from everything, far from successes and troubles, to a beautiful, unreal place where we could protect our fragile love.